Hi there, Queens. I'm Dr. Leslie Branch. And I'm Lanier Logan, and this is Hear Me. Black women define the narratives that shape us. Hear Me weaves contemporary and historical weekly conversations to create stronger bonds and lasting legacies. Hear Me is a sacred space where we discuss and define narratives that shape and define who society says we are and find common ground on the things that unite us. She is me, I am her, and we are Hear Me. I need to wash it though. Oh, wash your curls? Uh, wash my hair. Oh, wash your hair. No, it looks good. I think the older curls get, the better they look. I don't know why it's like that, like leftovers. When you on Sunday, it tastes better on Tuesday. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) You need a day in between. Hey, 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 party people. How are you? We are officially back. Dr. Leslie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. What up? What up? I just called you Dr. Leslie. I'm today. I might have had too much espresso. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, I'm not Les. Leslie couldn't be with us today. She was in court. Leslie, the lawyer. But um, today you get Lessie, Doctor Doctor Leslie. Um, will be uh, joining my uh, lovely co-host. Uh, Lanier Logan, the uh, serial entrepreneur startup strategist. So, you know, sorry that Leslie couldn't uh, join us today, but maybe she'll make a uh, a cameo. Well, maybe we can interview her one day. I'm glad I have Dr. Leslie Blanche, Branch here today. <laughs> <laughs> this, so I'm just warning everyone. Episode six, just just give me grace. Um, this is a lot of espresso, so let's just jump right in. Uh, so we are officially episode seven, and I think we are caught up literally. So now we will start recording weekly. So we'll be, you know, um, literally present day. We won't be so far behind. Uh, and today we're discussing COVID-19 right? Uh, And its impact on Black Americans, which is really interesting because this is taking such a huge shift. Uh, Some places are starting to go back to phase one because people are running amok. Um, I don't know. What what do you think about this? Well, I mean, it's very interesting to to see, you know, the progression um, and People just don't believe this thing is real, right? So I, I, I bet the people who didn't believe it's real and who are now experiencing it believe it's real. So it's kind of like the air. Oh, I don't believe the air is there. I can't see it. Uh, but let it be taken away from you and you'll cease to exist, right? So uh, people really need to take this seriously because this is for real, for real. Right. And so if people are telling you that you need to wear a mask, it's not because they're trying to take away your gun rights or, you know, run your life. They're trying to save your life. They're trying to save their lives. They're trying to save everybody's life. And so it's just interesting to see the, I guess, the whole thing come full circle. Right. So even our president 
is now telling people that they should wear masks. But I'm just tired of him. Can we can we talk about that for just a second? I'm really tired of him because I think that he is a, a huge part of why people are doing what they want to do and why some people are taking it serious and why some people are not. Um, I honestly believe like he is a part of this because the team is only as good as its leader. And whether we like him, respect him, think that he belongs there, we know that he stole it. He's still leading this country. So the fact that you are he constantly berated made it seem like this wasn't a big deal. I don't feel like they've done a good job at tackling this. And now all of a sudden I read the other day that they're taking the numbers completely from uh, the center CDC. for CDC. And now they're only going to be the ones to report it. And it's like, he's doing all of these things to lie so who knows what's going to happen with the numbers i don't even honestly believe that the numbers that were being reported from cdc were honest um especially if he had anything to do with it so i think for me with this mask business i'm honestly i don't wear a mask in the car i walk out my house uh, i have masks in the car i walk out the house i get in the car when I pull up to where I'm going, I put the mask on, I get out the car, I go into the store, I do what I need to do, and then I come out, get in my car, I take the mask off. Cause this, you know, it's something that we have to get used to. I right. wear it because we're supposed to, but also I don't want to find out the hard way what happens when you don't wear it. Exactly. And exactly. I don't want to be responsible for someone else you know, because I didn't pass something to somebody else and now that's the end of their life. I'm not selfish in that regard. Uh, so this is just this is just a touchy situation because I think that it's impacting African-Americans, not just health-wise, but it's impacting us financially. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, so wax, no doubt are bearing the long and short term economic brunt of uh, COVID-19 because of the types of jobs that they tend to have. And, you know, those generally, and, and because America's economy is generally a service economy, and those mm -hmm. are the types of jobs that most people have, but more uh, so Black folks, when those service economy jobs shut down, there went their, uh, their, their way to make a living and mm -hmm. and you know it's not like they were making that much to begin with they were cobbling together in some instances more than one job and then on top of that this new gig economy or maybe not so new yeah uh, i was gonna say economy, totally not new uh the the gig economy is how a lot of young people make their living and and it's a it's another segment of the service economy and so because the service economy has taken a huge hit, so has the gig economy. And then jobs that are part of the service uh, sector that are available, you're, you're putting yourself at risk, right? So think about um, people that work in those big warehouses uh, that you know have to stand shoulder to shoulder and, and prior to people taking, I guess, COVID seriously, 
there were no PPE, there was no sort of dividers or protection to keep people segregated or separated. And, and so it's just, it's been a hot mess, a flaming Cheeto hot mess. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, even with that, right? I don't know. Like, let's just get into some numbers, right? Just because this is just, this topic just makes me think of everything else other than health, right? So something that I'm very clear about working in workforce development, I've realized or further confirmed, and I know I've said this before, that poverty is a business, but sickness is a business as well. And they feed each other, right? And I just am having all sorts of feelings about healthcare, the access to healthcare, the amount of people who have went in the hospital or who have become sick during quarantine, who it appears that they have been misdiagnosed and somewhat intentionally. So, you know, we've I've heard a lot of reports, um, nurses and people and some nurses that I know directly who will say like, if someone came into the hospital during that time, they were automatically labeled with COVID. And so you have people who are now passing away or dying because you're treating an illness that you don't necessarily know how to treat. So you're literally testing out treatments on people, which is creating more of a health issue for the individual that they they end up dying anyway, right? So did they really die for what they came in for or are we making it worse? Because we haven't really identified what COVID is. So it's weird to me that, and this is something that my neighbor has said to me, like her unit in the hospital had really slowed down and it's been really quiet. And I was just like, it, it makes me wonder, one, I want it to slow down, right? I don't want people to just continuously have to go to the hospital. But are people being properly diagnosed and are we clear about um, how, how this is contracted? Because it doesn't seem like it's, now it's a conversation of six feet is not even enough, right? right? Like it can go past, it's in the air, it does live for a while. And I've always felt that it was airborne. So when I think about the healthcare system and how biased it is with African-Americans anyway, like, are we even fairly being diagnosed? So, you know, that's, that is a great question. And it definitely leads to my objective for this episode, which is uh, to advance the idea, really, that universal health care is a policy whose time has come. Part of the reason I would suggest Black and brown people are impacted higher at higher rates than other segments of the population have to do with uh, the socioeconomic or the social determinants of health, number one. And then secondly, uh, the fact that they may not have health insurance or good health insurance or the fact that if people have health insurance, it's somehow tied to the whether or not they are employed and it's also tied to whether or not uh, the type of job that they have is 
is is of quality enough that they are even offered health insurance, right? And then deductibles are just so high that you know people will forego and the cost of medicines and all of those things. And so people have to literally choose between whether they're going to keep the lights on or whether they're going to take this purchase this this prescription for this chronic illness that they have. And, mm -hmm. and so there are just so many challenges that go into being a, a, a black or a brown person as it relates to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we really want to deal with this problem of poverty and health and, and, and things like that, I really think that um, we should definitely consider uh, as, as Bernie Sanders and, and some of the other more uh, progressive former uh, presidential candidates were saying that health, health insurance and health care should be a right, mm -hmm. regardless of what your uh, socioeconomic status is. And I would suggest that COVID has really made that clear, right? It just came into neighborhoods black and brown neighborhoods and, and have just decimated literally black and brown people. But I would also suggest that as we see COVID moving from the coasts and moving into the heartland and the, the, the rust belt and, and places like that, the folks who are gonna be most impacted negatively are gonna be poor rural white folks. And so my hope is that because what COVID is doing is making it very clear that, well, yes, race does matter, socioeconomic determinants of uh, health matter, but this is something that's hitting poor people, period, right? And, mm -hmm. and so it's hitting them because of some of those socioeconomic determinants where you live, whether you have access to healthy food, what level of education you have, the environment around where you live, just to name a few, are, are, are real challenges that the government has a responsibility to step in and fix. What we're seeing is, is a market failure, but I would suggest the market failure is not a market failure that was created by the market, it was created by the government. Mm -hmm. Not, uh, by not stepping in or by not being proactive early on enough when they knew that this pandemic had crossed uh, the ocean and made its way to America. That's kind of loaded. <laughs> like, it's loaded because how long have we been talking about this? Or how long has this been a, a highlight, right? I don't know if in my 39 years on this earth, I've heard more talk about the bias in healthcare than other than the last year, year and a half, just in a public forum where more people are actually talking about it. Well, I mean, and that's, that's an excellent point. And so we've been talking about, so, so people like myself and colleagues who are researchers around issues of race and inequality, 
we have been talking about this, but nobody has really been listening. And so it has taken something like COVID to push um, front and center what it is that we've been talking about, these, these socioeconomic determinants of health, how poor black and brown and even poor white folks have chronic diseases at higher rates than the rest of the population. And it doesn't matter, not even, not even just poor black and brown folks, right? Serena, uh, Serena, the, the tennis player, Williams, mm -hmm. um, she and her husband recently had a, a little girl, what, a, two years ago, I think, maybe? Yeah. She almost died, I want to say, during childbirth. Mm -hmm. Now, she's a multi-millionaire, probably close to a billionaire. Mm -hmm. And if you would think that someone that rich who has access to the best health care, best doctors, wouldn't have those kinds of issues, but it didn't matter. And, and part of the reason is, is because of the bias in, in, um, in health care toward women, right? So when, when women go to the doctor, Black women, uh, for example, you're there because you need medical help, right? The, mm -hmm. Sometimes they will, they will not give you pain medicine because they don't think your pain is, is high enough. So the, the things that are put on black and brown bodies are ridiculous, right? And think about this, during slavery times, and, and you know, this is, this is, has come out, they would do all sorts of gynecological and medical procedures on black women. They would practice yeah, without anesthetic. Without anesthesia because somehow mm -hmm. they don't feel the pain. And once they got the practice of it right, then they would administer those treatments to white women, but with anesthesia. Right. But that was also, remember, they didn't really see us as human anyway, right? And I'm not, this is not me justifying it. But that dangerous logic and us just using us as guinea pigs is something that has transitioned into medicine also. Because I know that I saw a clip on social media with this uh, white nurse who was just saying like, it's up to us to challenge this. Every time you have residents come in and we're on the floor, we're monitoring and we're asking questions and you have these young residency doctors who are not giving medicine and they come with this logic because, oh, they didn't think that the pain, that they can tolerate the pain, that black women are able, like it's a real thing and it's up to us to challenge that and make them see that, that there's no place for that here. Yeah. And it was sure. the first time that I had heard someone in the medical team, and I don't work with her, so I don't know if she was really a nurse, a real doctor, and you know, like people can find other ways to spin that. But it was the first time that I actually heard someone white acknowledge that, even in just in the medical field alone, which is so problematic. And it's one of the reasons why I switched my doctor, right? Um, I had the same doctor in New York City from the time I was 19. So when I moved here four years ago, for mm -hmm. the first year, I still went to New York to go do my GYN. Like, only reason why he didn't deliver my daughter, he was out of the country that weekend, so I had to use his covering doctor. But for right. the most part, 
he is like my other dad. Like he always pokes fun, like I'm his daughter's age. So <laughs> he, <laughs> he found the lump in my breast when I was um, 22 and that was uncomfortable. And he was like, we're going to remove this. And he referred me to his best friend and we, he's literally been a part of my family, right? Like, and I think that we have to have doctors that we trust in that way, where there's a relationship, where you build a rapport. And when I came here, after the first year, I was like, you know what, I don't want to keep traveling to New York from DC to go get my appointment, although I could, but I was just like, let me find somebody here. I did find a doctor here, older white guy, I just felt like he wasn't listening to nothing I was saying to him. Mm -hmm. And it was so weird because I had never experienced that before. Because if I said poop, uh, if I said, oh, I have a light fever today, my GYN would see me. Mind you, he's not my... <laughs> right, but he would always want to ask certain questions to see if it's related to anywhere down there. And he was just very thorough. So when this person... I gave them clear descriptions of some of the challenges that I was having and he wasn't listening and I don't want to be too detailed. So I won't. Right. What I will say is that I got a letter in the mail to say that he was retiring and I kept saying I wasn't going to go back to him until I found a black doctor. And so I called the office and I asked, were there any black doctors? And she said, oh yeah, there's a female. She told me her name. So I asked to see her. I went to see her and I sat down with her the first visit and I said, these are the things that I've been complaining about and talking about with the other doctor. And he just didn't listen to me. She looks in my file and she goes, well, I don't see your medical history from your other doctor. I was like, well, that's interesting because I asked him twice, did he receive the records? And he told me no. He told me yes. Mm. So this whole time now you're having conversations with me telling me, all of these things, all of these random things that doesn't make sense that I knew didn't make sense to me. I'm not, I didn't go to medical school, but it's just some things, you know, like this just doesn't sound right. This doesn't make sense. And so I had to go re-request my records. I made sure that they got to her within that first visit, the amount of tests she sent me for what we thought was the issue was something else. Mm -hmm. I ended up having um, cysts on my uterus that we, and they were, it developed into polyps and then it was something else. And so we ended up having to remove it. So within yeah. six weeks of me seeing her, she was sending me to several different appointments, follow-up, blood tests, all of these different things to find it. We ended up having surgery. We removed it. She was, she heard me. Right. And so I can't, the amount of frustration I felt, I was grateful that I found her. But what was frustrating for me was that this has been festering for two years at this point. Because when I yeah. saw him within after a year and I saw him, he wasn't really responsive. I saw him twice. I just stopped going. So now you have a whole year that passed. And then I get this letter and I'm like, all right. And then it took me two to three months to finally call. So it's like, they don't realize, doctors, I don't know if they don't realize, but it creates so much mistrust. For sure. 
if you don't feel seen by your physician, if you don't feel heard, I don't care if it's, and I see her often now, like, I'm like, you're just my best friend now. She just cracks up. And I will go into her office and have conversations with her because it's so important for you to have a relationship with your doctor. It's so important for you to, to not be afraid to ask questions. Right. You can't always go to Google because sometimes I'll go to Google before I go in her office. And I was like, well, Google told me I'm going to die in six months. Oh, and she'll God. start laughing. And she's like, you sure? Or did they tell you it was going to die in 10 days? I was like, probably 10 days. I just opted to go for six months because I was going to see you uh, in a week. And she'll crack up. And it's like, you have to feel comfortable to ask those questions. But if we don't trust, trust healthcare physicians, we are not going to go to the doctor as much, even with COVID, even right. if it means, you know, not having the money to pay the COVID or testing. I'd like to think that there are a lot more people who are willing to be in debt with that and still go to the doctor if they felt like they were going to be seen, heard, and cured, so to speak, or at least feel like someone cares enough to make sure that they're well. And I don't think that we have enough of that. So that I is, vote for people to just find all black doctors. And I know some people be like, well, black doctors are that no, that hasn't been my experience. And I really switched. Madison has a black doctor now. I have a black doctor. I have a black dentist. I have a black general practice uh, doctor. I, I wasn't playing. I really switched everything because I just, I can't afford getting older and not feeling like I'm getting the medical attention that I need, especially when I'm not a person who has illnesses. So when right. I finally do go to the doctor, I need to be heard. For sure. I mean, and, and, and it's much easier to do preventative maintenance than it is to fix something after it has gone terribly wrong. Right. And it's horrible that something could go terribly wrong simply because the person who's supposed to, you know, be the gatekeeper or the co-gatekeeper, if you will, of your health is not listening to you. Right. right? Or, or just minimizing uh, what it is that you're saying. You know, one of the things that I find uh, very interesting as well is that Americans, for the most part, are not necessarily turning away from Western medicine, but they are embracing other forms of medicine, like Eastern medicine, like uh, how do you call it, with the needles, acupuncture. Mm -hmm. I remember some years ago, and this was brought on by stress, at the end of a semester, it was just so stressful. I ended up getting vertigo and mm -hmm. never had vertigo before. And my doctor gave me, she, she prescribed some, um, what do you call the motion sickness pills? I'm like, well, that didn't help. That just made me, you know, feel even worse and so I did some research acupuncture and I'm, I'm the biggest punk on two feet when it comes to needles mm -hmm. but uh, I definitely scheduled myself for an acupuncture a couple of acupuncture visits they did something in my ears and some other stuff and put some heat I have never had a problem with vertigo again and that had to be at least 15 years ago. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I, I just think that um, unfortunately in Western medicine, 
they don't believe in treating the whole person. They just believe in treating what ails you, but the body is a connected unit. It's a connected system. Uh, the systems are interconnected. And if one system is problematic, it's gonna cause problems in other areas and, and other systems as well. So I have been one who has embraced some alternative forms of, of uh, healthcare. Massage, I'm not that thrilled about it uh, because when I broke my pinky, I had it didn't heal on its own. And so I had to have surgery, put a pin in it. It, it did not heal, so they took the pin out and they had to massage it to make it heal back together. So having a broken bone massage does not feel good. Mm. Um, I can tell you, and so I'm not a it big fan of massage good. at all, <laughs> but it worked. It Surgery didn't fix it, the pin didn't fix it. Something called a bone stimulator, um, and that sounds, you know, really uh, interesting. But it's- <laughs> Do you see my face? <laughs> But what it is, it's, it's some sort of, I guess, thing that emits some sort of a pulse that is supposed to encourage the bone or stimulate the bone to heal. Um, but yeah, so, so if I didn't give you uh, this description of what a bone stimulator is, our readers, our listeners would probably think that it's something else and <laughs> be like, where can I sign up for? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, we don't want to sign up for, a, that yeah. sounds very painful. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's, it's, poverty is a business. I think, I don't know if this is true, but the biases that happen in healthcare, to my mind, almost create a fresh supply, if you will, of people to, practice things on to see if they work or not work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and unfortunately, in some instances, much like during uh, the times of slavery, those, those people are black and brown folks. Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that's not cool. Um, not, at all. not cool at all. So in terms of the COVID cases, right? Do you have any updated statistics on those? So like where we are. So at last check, America has passed, I want to say the 400,000 mark of positive cases. Mm -hmm. So we have, this country has the most positive COVID cases in the, the world. And there is certainly a guess, uh, let me just quickly do a, a search here. Positive COVID cases. So I, I have some numbers here. What do you have? So I took these statistics from MSN. Uh, they had uh, a COVID tracker there. Ah. So since, um, so this looks like as of, this may be, give or take, right? Um, this is like maybe two weeks old by this point. But um, so nationwide, they have it deaths per 100,000 and they have African-Americans at 70%. Wow. 
And they also have Native Americans at 37%, Hispanics or Latinos. And I'll, I'll drop this link for you to, to see it in the chat box so you can take a look at this. It's interesting seeing it this way because um, white people, 28%, Hispanics, 34, Asians, 30, Native Americans, oh, excuse me, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander, 26. And so I mean, that, yeah, because well, for blacks, we only make up 13, 12, between 12 and 14% of the population. Right. But the percentages at which we are being impacted by COVID is just, very, very ridiculous. So even at this number, right? How much is this of us really dying because of our ailments or health professionals letting us die? Well, I know in New York at one point when we were the epicenter of the pandemic, EMTs were essentially, I recall being told, if you know somebody is dying from a heart is having a heart attack uh, mm -hmm. don't you know use the time to try to revive them because the focus needs to be on uh, covid mm -hmm. right and so you you could literally be having a life and death situation and the emt folks were instructed to not make that their priority of of course the emt folks were told to not carry out that directive uh, be, because you know that's just ridiculous but again I, I imagine the healthcare system is just so overwhelmed with the 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 voluminous number of of covid cases that that's where all of the energies are being directed and according to you know what what the i guess the science or the experts are saying is folks who have pre-existing conditions are more susceptible to catching covid just because they they have an immuno uh they have a compromised uh immune system but that's, I don't know. And I know this is like a dangerous statement for me to make. Uh, I don't know about dangerous, but with no proof. But even just hearing that EMTs were told not to respond or not to take certain preventative measures um, in terms of responding to calls just seems problematic. And I don't know if that has ever been confirmed or, you know, we've ever been able to catch it a recording or really pinpoint it to who gave that directive. But even something like that, can you imagine what's being said, if that is true, inside of hospitals, like who they're treating? Or if you feel like somebody is already at the tail end and they're not going to make it so let's just leave them and let's focus on somebody else like that is not an approach that any medical physician or practitioner should ever take you don't get to decide 
who is capable of living and who is not. But you, those decisions are made all the time. Those decisions are, are made all the time. And yes, doctors, medical doctors do take the Hippocratic Oath and, and, and such. But I'm guessing is that when you are constrained because of limited resources, those are decisions that you have to make, right? So in economics, it's called the opportunity cost. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's a horrible thing to, to have to do, make no mistake about it. But I suggest, and I go back to something that I said earlier, we're in the position and the predicament that we're in because leadership failed to create a strategy, a national strategy for how to deal with this before it ballooned. So do you think, so, so it can't be too late now, like we could create a strategy now to really attack this. I honestly think that we need to, every city and state needs to shut down for phase one. And I think even essential workers, like people just need to be home. And it should just be nobody outside, no nothing for two weeks or three weeks, even if that's a month. Like, I'm totally in that space. Like, we've already practiced quarantine. I do understand people are like, oh, that steals our freedom. But it's summertime, and I think people somehow thought, let me go outside. Let me do these barbecues. Let me go hang out. Let me go, because we're tired of being in the house. But at the expense of having to stay in the house until 2022, because COVID is just like still running rampant. I mean, I just seen an article the other day, Florida, every eight minutes, somebody is dying in Florida of COVID. And Florida was just very adamant about right. not wearing masks, not, you know, arguing, coming outside, just moving, shaking and baking, like there's not a pandemic out here taking people out. So, I mean, right now I see like the cases have climbed past 402,000. And, and so, you know, I'm gonna go back to, right, so COVID, we, we shut down, at least here in New York, we shut down about the middle of March. Mm -hmm. COVID, talk of COVID had been, I think at the, the end of, uh, last year, just around November, December, right? So there, it was widely known that there was a pandemic that was raging in other, other parts of the world. And the national strategy, right? So there should have been a national strategy like when Ebola happened, right? There was a national strategy for Ebola. And so because this a pandemic is a worldwide thing. That means no country, no place on planet Earth is spared. And so leadership at the national level was briefed about this, and they just decided that it, it was a hoax or it wasn't real or it will go away. And then New York happened. And then, well, before New York, I want to say, uh, was it Washington State? And then mm -hmm. California happened, then New York happened, and Jersey happened, right? And so 
rather than a national strategy where the president said, okay, here's what we're gonna do, regions had to come together to figure out how they're going to combat this, right? And this, this also goes back to what we talked about in an earlier episode where we have to really pay attention to what's happening at the local and the state level in terms mm -hmm. of policy, right? Because that we, what this pandemic has shown us is that when the federal government fails us, depending on what state we live in, mm -hmm. the, the, our state and local government is going to have to pick up the slack. And in right. New York, Cuomo got together with um, Murphy in uh, Jersey, and uh, Lamont in Connecticut and some of the others in Pennsylvania, and they created a regional strategy for how they were going to deal with and combat this disease, mm -hmm. this pandemic. And places like Florida and Michigan and, and Texas and, you know, Arkansas were like, yeah, no, we're not. We're, we're not going to make a mask mandate. That's because they were following Trump. Now, these are also Republicans, and they were following Trump. They're up Trump's butt, even the uh, governor in Georgia. How are you suing the mayor, oh, that was Tisha Bottom, yes. for ma mandating masks, but you don't shoot, sue the mayor of the other county in Georgia and tell Savannah. me that this is not race-related? Yeah. I'm not going to play with you. You know what? Savannah, I want to say, Savannah, Georgia, had their mask mandate first. Their mayor mm -hmm. is also black, but he's a guy. Hmm. And so he ended up suing, Kemp ended up suing Lance Bottom, but not the mayor of Savannah, Georgia. Right. So not only is it racial, but it's misogynistic as well. Exactly. You know, and then... Now, Georgia is having issues, but hopefully, you know, people are understanding that this is not government trying to dictate your life. This is government trying to, this is your state government trying to keep you alive because your federal government pretty much cares nothing about you or wants you to drink bleach and, um, you know, spray Lysol down your throat to kill this. But Did can't you see even, I think people are at a space to where we don't trust the government at all, whether it's state, local, it's just like, there's so many, so what's interesting about 2020, it's been very revealing. I think for the first time, we're able to just see things happening in real time. Right. And the people who are in charge, they're they're not able to clean it up as quickly as they would like to because we're seeing it, but their approach is also becoming, okay, well, you've seen it, I've seen it, and I'm telling you this. So it's like, who you gonna believe, me or your lying eyes? And it's like, no, this is just not, you're literally just gonna do whatever you wanna do. You're literally gonna take the numbers from the CDC you're literally not having daily press conferences. You're not communicating with us. Now, all of a sudden, you put a mask on. I don't know how he doesn't 
have COVID. I think he, I would like for him to have it. And I probably shouldn't say that out loud. I think we're bigger people than that. But (laughs) no, I'm not taking a Michelle moment right now. (laughs) Like (laughs) when you are trying to tell us that we need to open our schools. So first of all, Washington state is talking about allowing kids to go back to school by race. So we're going to send the black kids to school first, the minorities to school, and then the white kids get the opportunity that I'm not going to play with these people. My kid is not going to school in September. I already, I already knew this when school ended in June. Uh, I already started ordering things to prepare to homeschool her because what I'm not going to do, my kid will not be a guinea pig for anybody. Canary in the coal mine. And then we're picking and choosing. So you want kids to go back to school. First of all, we know kids, no matter the age, they are touchy-feely, germy little people, right? Naturally. And how are kids going to go back to school, sit in a classroom? And I know we like veered off, but this is still COVID. Be able to function. Now they have to sit there with a mask all day, be six feet from each other. Where's the interactive? Like, they're not going to be able to go outside and play. They're not able to leave their room to have lunch. Lunch has to be brought to them. So it's not about the kids maybe giving it to each other. It could be the adults who are giving it to them. Like, we don't know who's practicing social distancing and who's not. We don't know whose child is doing that. Who, like, I may send my kids to school and the person they sit next to that parent might feel like, screw masks. We don't do masks. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be, because I feel like white people just want to feel oppressed so bad. And they're just, you know, not going to let anybody tell them not to wear these masks. And it's so annoying because oppression is not fun. And I understand that they want to experience it, but not wearing the mask is causing problems. So if you are that person and you send your kid to school, and you guys are carrying, you get other people infected, adults, teachers, kids. That's just not, so the fact that these states are not even, and I'm not going to say all states. I will say that there are some states like Cuomo, I think that he's done a great job. I'm really proud that he's done a great job. I'd like to see him do some other things. It's interesting. I have, I think he's done a great job thus far. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, but I don't think it's appropriate for these states to play games with people's kids. Go, like the option to even go back to school in September. And so now it brings everything back to remote, um, to the gig economy, right? So mm-hmm. now if you have people going back to school, there's so many things that are gonna happen within this pandemic. So the stimulus should be up within what, this week, next week? Yeah, the end of, uh, the end of July. So the end of July, anybody who was receiving unemployment for economic stimulus, that'll be up at the end of July. Uh, the extensions for rent, right? I know there, there was some sort of mandate that was put in place mm-hmm. so that people couldn't be evicted. I think that's going to be up, what, at the end of this month as well. Oh, did you hear what uh, Wells Fargo was doing? Oh, Lord. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I'm also thinking about how many positions are literally just not going to come back. So if we think about 
how many restaurants or businesses who just had to completely close because they weren't able to pay rent, they weren't mm -hmm. able to pay staff. So now you have a backload of people, a crapload of people who are just completely unemployed, right? Some of these individuals may be completely underemployable if they don't have the necessary technical skills to just jump into a remote position. Right. So if all you've done has been a cook, a waitress, or, um, you know, worked in any type of service-related business, even if it's retail, and you were able to, to just finally meet the needs, like not even live a comfortable life, but just barely pay your bills, right. what happened to those people in September? Now we got a different situation because the, the shelves on the supermarket is still not being replenished in the same way that it was before COVID because things are buying out. So now you have people who don't no longer have unemployment, not working. If people are starting to be evicted, where are they going to go? Now homelessness will incre increase. What happens to all of those families who have children? So now not only can they not even go back to school in September because they don't have a place to live, but what happens with their education? What happens with crime in the street when people get hungry and they need to feed their kids? Like I, I don't see people having these real conversations publicly and the, it's going to get real crazy out here. So like the, um, the, the conversations are being had. Uh, a lot of webinars are happening. And so, so they, but the, the, so there people are talking past one another, not to one another. And this is being looked at as a either or, right? So either we do one thing at the expense of the other, or we do the other thing at the expense of the other. And so it, it just, this pandemic has really, really, really lain bare just the disparities in so many, so many things. And the foundation that propped up these disparities has now essentially been pulled out from under. And so this, this could be, right? And so, and so as I say that, Natalie Cole is in my head, this could, this could be an everlasting, everlasting love. Right? So, all right, focus, focus. What this really means to or signals to me is maybe this is the collapse of the American empire. I don't even think maybe. I think it is. Yeah. And so, I think that this is a prime moment that I have been saying for a minute now. I know it's hard, I know it's crazy, but we literally have to focus on rescuing ourselves. And I don't mean that in the very condescending way that Republicans say people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. No, I don't mean it in that way. I don't mean it in that way, not even closely. I just mean it as we are African-Americans. We, we never get things easy. 
right? And I don't think there's any of us that can say that we had like an easy life. Even if our parents have busted their tail to, to give us a certain level of privilege that maybe the rest of us may not have had. I think mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing and I should think it should be more common. However, we are in such a moment to where there are so many people who don't look like us who are finally in a place where we've always been, meaning in struggle, right? right. Like we, we know how to take a bag of rice and make that stretch for uh -huh. two weeks and take these and take this chicken and cut it up and make it into something for a few days. Like we know how to get it in the mud. Right. Literally, we know how to do that. So I feel like this is the moment where I would like for us to really just say, how can I win in this moment, right? Like this, everything else is falling down around me, but honestly, for myself and some of the people that I've been connected with, professionally, we have been excelling, right? And I don't, I don't say it on social media a lot because I, I'm, I'm always aware of other people financially are not in that position, right? But we're not stealing from people. We're not, we just being resourceful. We're just making sure that like, I'm going to make sure there's something going on because I'm not going back to school. I'm not sending my kid back to school in September. So if that means the contract that I'm on says, well, you know what, Lanier, we really need you in the office. I need to be able to say, well, deuces and I'm straight. Why? Because I've created a position to where I have, I don't want to say F you money, but I have enough generating and happening in different places where I don't have to feel stuck. What makes me feel uncomfortable and what drives my anxiety through the roof is everybody is not in that position. Right. It's not enough of us who are even in that position to even be to even say that so for the people who have to go to work during a pandemic and they have to leave their kids at home not every state has a mandate of a minimum age that children can be left at home there are a lot of states to where it says legally your kid could be left at home if they're two that is nuts and then you have some places like maryland uh where they say eight and then other places might say 11 and 12. So for me, I literally zero into the single parent or the, the two parent home who maybe one parent was staying home with the kids and the other works and now they lost that income. And now it's four people and they trying to figure out how do I keep this roof over our head? You know, my kids have to eat, my family, like this just makes me, I, gun sales have increased so much so that trying to buy bullets for guns are, mm. is low the demand for bullets is low uh it's high and there's yeah. not enough that's great that doesn't blow anybody's mind. like that's crazy to me yeah it is just if you can't find that then start buying uh, uh musket balls i like but it just tells you that people are preparing yeah. and gripping up for something. And I always feel like we're so behind in so many areas that like, if we did have to, I make this joke and I say it sometimes to my friends, like if the apocalypse zombie 
people come, like, are you going to be able to barricade yourself in the house because you don't want zombies to come? Like, what's going to happen? Like, do I eat my own kid so nobody else eats her? Like, what happens, right? I say that to be funny, but I feel like, no, like these, um, those shows about the preppers and the people who are preparing in bunkers, like, yeah, I literally feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better. And all the people who are making decisions for us individually, for people in the States, middle-class people and under, we are going to be subjected to all type of fend for yourself. Pretty much. I mean, that's kind of how it is now. Uh, Not to the extent that it probably will be, but it's getting there. Can you imagine a real life purge? Have you seen that movie? No. I'm a punk. I can't watch stuff. Well, I did watch it and I was scared and I watched one, two, and three and I said, oh, hell no. But I'm scared of guns anyway, so it's not going to make me go. (laughs) But I did buy like a baseball bat. I made sure that I have like... baseball, right? I will tear somebody up if they come towards my place with me and my baby. (laughs) And I purchased like mace and I purchased this... uh, this keychain thing that it's like a spike. So if I'm like carrying oh, wow. groceries or I'm with Madison and somebody tries to attack us, there you go. I'm like, these are, <laughs> it's crazy because as a single woman, co-parenting states away from her dad and like the rest of my family, it's like, I really have to think like, I got to hold us down. Like, yeah. I had, like I got 12 cases of water in here <laughs> like literally just I had to like order that so that in case something happens and the water gets shut off like right. I'm thinking very extreme because I don't want to have to go outside and I know like I've drifted this but I think COVID has put so many so many um volatile situations in my mind Mm -hmm. that how we are going to suffer inner cities in the ghettos is going to be different than how somebody's going to suffer in the suburbs yeah yeah i mean for sure because inner cities you don't have the space to stock up right if you even have a space at all given that you can't pay rent and then you're, you know, evicted and on the streets. It, right. It's, I, I mean, I, I kind of sadly believe that America is headed for failed state status. Um, even, even though there is a government impaneled, if you will, right? So we have an executive branch, we have a legislative branch, we have a judiciary branch, we have state government, and we have city government, but because at the, the federal level, which in exchange for our tacit consent to be governed, they're supposed to govern, they have just abdicated their responsibility to the American people. So does this mean that, because I've been saying this for a while, let's just throw the whole government away and start over. Literally, I feel like this is what's happening. Like COVID is just highlighting all of the 40 areas. Like we already knew there were serious areas, but at this point it's like, no, it is completely broken. 
it's not working for anyone. I think this might be the only time that white supremacists or um, I'll say just maybe Republicans or any political parties may agree that nothing is working for anyone, right? Like we're, it, it seems to be we're all in the same boat. But for some people, this is working, right? So that they, mm. right? So think about this. And and one thing I will, I don't want to say give props to, but I'm, I'm saying thank you, Jesus, and hallelujah. Uh, so there's this, you know, the, the, uh, the stimulus bill is up at the end of this month and Congress is trying to get its act together to give something to the president. The president has said he's not going to sign it if it doesn't have a tax cut in it. And the, uh, the, the Senate has said, well, we're going to send you something, but it doesn't have any tax cuts for businesses in it. And I'm like, thank you for growing a set and standing up because why do businesses need a tax cut at this point? Unemployment is extremely high. Businesses are not really paying salaries because unemployment is really high. And so they're not having to pay a bunch of payroll taxes. And so if they get that tax cut, they're not going to employ people. They're going to just pocket that money. And so it enriches businesses, big business, and screws little business and employees. So, you know, thank you for growing a set. I appreciate it. And, and, but why did businesses get a tax cut in the first place? Why, the same reason why businesses who should have never applied for help applied. Right. All of these large corporations in, it's just really showing like the president currently, that's all he really cared about, right? Like, is making sure uh, that businesses have all of these things. And I'm not even going to lie, I do benefit from some as a small business, but no. <laughs> like, it's still problematic. So I do have a question for you, though. Because yes. I've seen this question a lot, right? And so we hear about the, the flu deaths are usually higher, and this happens right. every year. So why is there so much fear? surrounding COVID. And I think that just even thinking about that might be why some people are taking it serious and some people are not, which is the cause for the elevated cases over the last few weeks. So people fear what they don't know or don't understand. And because there are so many unknowns around COVID, like how it's transmitted, how long it lives, things like that, whether pre-existing conditions exacerbate or increase one's chances of getting it or not. P people don't like uncertainty. And so that I would suggest is why um, there is a lot of fear. The fact that people are dying in, in the numbers that we're seeing is another reason that people are, are scared out of their wits. So looking at a map of the U.S. in the United States, as of, I want to say, uh, July 23rd, so that was yesterday, there are 4.12 million confirmed cases 
of COVID. Um, 1.23 million have recovered and there are 147,000 uh, deaths in the United States. Worldwide, 15.5 million uh, of confirmed COVID cases, 8 million have, almost 9 million have recovered and worldwide there have been six, uh, 634,000 uh, deaths related to COVID, right? So this thing isn't planned. So like then, you but really quickly though, so if we think about those numbers, right? Uh -huh. And flu, it literally ranges from 209,000 to 650,000 people die of flu-related causes every year worldwide. Right. So would that mean that COVID is lower? So COVID just started, right? And so it hasn't I been think a we, we think it just started. I honestly think this was kind of around last year, around September, because I know people who have been sick, but they was it was sick to a different level. Like it didn't feel like a normal flu to them. Right. So, but still, September to September, we we don't have those numbers, but right. worldwide, if if that is the the argument that we're going to advance, it started around September, let's say, and we're in July. Worldwide confirmed deaths are six hundred and thirty-four thousand. So that's far above the mm -hmm. annual death rate for the flu. So this has really got people's attention. People mm -hmm. don't understand it. We don't know it. We, again, don't trust government because they are telling us one thing, but our lying eyes are seeing something else. We can't be with our loved ones when they are taking their last breaths and crossing over. And so nobody wants to die alone, I don't think. And so there are just so many things about this disease that we don't have answers to. And the fact that things are, you know, trying to, things are, things are going left really fast. And then as a way to control optics and narratives, you have government officials co-opting information so it doesn't make it to the public mm -hmm. as a way to keep the public ignorant. And, and yeah, people are just, people don't like uncertainty. And, be, and because this is a very uncertain time, it makes people frightened. And on top of that, you have these young people, I guess 18 to 20, whatever, mm -hmm. who just don't believe that they are vulnerable to this. Wait, so we blame it 18 to 20 year olds? Because all well, the parents I see them. are 40 and above. <laughs> well, I'm not blaming, no, 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 I'm not blaming. So people, we put them in, right? So they're in different buckets. So I'm not, blaming the 18 to 20 year olds, but the optics definitely show you on crowded beaches in Florida during uh, spring break, a bunch of, you know, college age students who are typically between 18 and 20 something who are not social distancing. And this is at the height of 
uh, or it was at, you know, the height of the pandemic, we, we, keep, we keep reaching new heights and that's not a good thing, right? So that's one group of, of folks that are driving the heights that we're reaching. And then you have the 40 to, I guess the 30 to 40 year olds who don't want their rights trampled on or don't want to be told what to do because they're grown and stuff um, and don't want to wear masks. They're another group of folks who are driving um, us to, to new heights. Mm -hmm. and, and so you have different segments of the population that are contributing to the increased highs that we are seeing. And, and I think people just need to maybe get over themselves. Yes, you're grown and we would like for you to stay grown and grow older. And so how about we just, you know, act like we have good sense and not think that the nanny state in, in some instances is, is trying to take over. Well, how much of these numbers do we feel like is the healthcare system is tied into when it relates to, I don't know if I should say keeping people alive as much. So do we even think that the healthcare system that we currently have, just looking at the logistics of everything that happened, right? And all the news articles of hospitals being overwhelmed and just how cities had been completely shut down. Do we, do we think uh, we have a strong enough health system anyway to support a pandemic like this? That's the first question. Right, so the answer is obviously not. Um, just because the healthcare infrastructure in New York State and other surrounding states when we were at the height of it were essentially overrun to the point that you have to call in a navy ship you have to turn the javits center into a hospital you have to call in refrigerated trucks because you don't have enough space in your morgues you have assisted living facilities where old people are dying because the infrastructure there just isn't well equipped to deal with it. And so I think America just doesn't learn from history or maybe she ignores history or maybe America just doesn't believe that stuff will ever happen to her, right? So there is maybe this callousness about America and, and some attitudes that she has towards catastrophe, right? So yes, we are a, a wonderful social experiment, right? We can innovate our way out of anything. Countries like England and, and, and some of the old world European countries think America is stupid. I mean, one of the gifts that Americans are typically given 
when they travel overseas is a uh, map because America doesn't know geography. But that's okay. We, we don't know where England is in relation to France. I, of course, do. But give us a problem and we can innovate our way out of anything. But we perhaps, I think, may be too cocky and don't believe things can ever happen to us. And COVID-19 is definitely showing that nothing could be further from the truth. And so the fact that our healthcare infrastructure is broken, the, the fact that other industry infrastructure is broken, um, the fact that things that should be readily available to us as citizens are not, our government is broken. Mm -hmm. And it is in dire need of repairing. But the people who are in charge, I don't think, think that things are broken. I think right. that for them, things work, right? So think about this. During the last economic downturn, we had big banks betting against people in terms of their mortgage, foreclosing on their houses, making them homeless so they could take those houses, sue them for the mortgage, and then put those houses back on the market to move somebody else into. I mean, that Sweet is a little buzzing. That is sick. And let me tell you what Wells Fargo did. I asked you earlier. Oh, Wells, yeah, yeah. Right? So Wells Fargo really knows that people are having problem paying mortgage because it's not that they're irresponsible and don't want to pay their mortgage, it's that they don't have the money, right? And so Wells Fargo has this program that, you know, is, is supposed to help people. Now there are people who can pay their mortgage and have been paying their mortgage, but Wells Fargo has been putting those people into this you need help program not applying the monies that they have been paying to their mortgage to their mortgage thereby causing them to become delinquent in their mortgage wow. and then report them to the credit bureau that's so dirty right and 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 wells fargo was one of the big banks that was uh that was implicated and spanked during the last uh, economic downturn for its unethical practices. Wells Fargo is the one that was creating fake accounts in the name of customers, right? And, and then when they weren't paying the bills, you know, canceling and reporting customers, but these were not accounts that customers ever signed up for. And so for some people, this is work, this broken infrastructure is working just fine because it allows them to act in unethical ways to profit off of the broken infrastructure. And that is not cool. So if we think about restructuring, right? Because remember I, I mentioned this is the perfect time for us to build or really rescue ourselves. 
So in rescuing ourselves and in creating opportunities for ourselves or just even securing our family, right? In this time, what does restructuring look like for Black folks, even when it comes to healthcare? I think it, it looks like creating co-ops, right? So worker co-ops, I think it... it so what do you it, mean by co-ops? So where people pool their resources and work together, right? Um, and, and so there are, in some instances, farm co-ops where, where people work together, they plant, and, and as a co-op, they distribute the, uh, the, the vegetables or the harvest among their, their co-op group, right? Um, <clears throat> there's that. There's, and so it's, it's a group of people working together for the collective uh, and the common, common good. Okay. And so I, I, I think that we need to take inventory of what skills people have. And if at some point money, right? And so that's another thing. This society is moving toward cashless society. And a lot of people don't necessarily have the wherewithal to use plastic, right? So what does that look like for people who don't have uh, savings accounts or checking accounts? Mm -hmm. Right, can you take your money, if, if, if how you were getting your money was through cash payment and now that moves away, how do you get your income? I, and I would suggest also, given that this infrastructure is broken and that people are not going to be able to retool quick enough to enter into whatever this new economy that is coming, another idea whose time has come or another policy whose, whose time has come is universal basic income. And this was talked about by some of the big tech folks like uh, Tesla, uh, not Tesla, Elon Musk, uh, CEO. And the guy, what's his name? The candidate, the Asian candidate who was running for yeah, president? Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang, right? So, and it's not because people don't want to work or people want to just sit home and collect this six or $300 from the, you know, whatever this stimulus is. No, people want to work if they can. But if the jobs that people once had, and so you, you raise the point, a lot of restaurants aren't coming back. And so a lot of those gig economy jobs where you could do seamless, those jobs are going away. Mm -hmm. A lot of those Uber jobs, they're gonna go away, especially if the next and the biggest thing comes along self-driving cars. What do you need uh, an Uber for? Right. Or, or Uber will send a, a driverless car to you. And so these, th this notion that certain policy things have, government needs to step up and step in and provide because the infrastructure where people were able to minimally sustain themselves is, is 
fractured. It's beyond repair. It's not even worth trying to repair. They need to, because to repair it just means slapping a little Band-Aid on it. The fact that you have to, a, a private company, and I think this was the Patriots, had to fly to China, the Patriots football team flew to China, purchased with their own money, ventilators, and then brought them back to this country because the, the healthcare infrastructure didn't have enough is, is ludicrous. And, and it sounds while, like we have a lot to do. Oh, like sure. we would have a lot of work to do and, you know, co-ops sound great. I'm just really thinking about what is it that the everyday person can do. Uh, I am seeing more and more graduates, uh, African-Americans graduating med school. So I've seen several posts on social media, just a slew of black women and black men um, graduating from everything from dentistry to ophthalmology to GYN, general practitioners, surgeons. So I, I think that that's really great that we start pushing more of us to be where we need to be, right? And, and be in healthcare. But I'm just wondering what are our rights, like rules and regulations? So we can advocate to not get vaccines. Uh, sure. There's ways around that. Uh, usually you have to be connected to some sort of religion and that has to get you got to get paperwork to get signed off to say that oh, okay it's not a part of my religion to get these vaccines and so you kind of get away with them and so i think so in in new york right because before covid went crazy uh we were having this measles thing mm -hmm. and it was mainly happening in hasidic or orthodox jewish communities because they don't believe in vaccines, as far as I understand it. Right. And, but the, the outbreak was so crazy that I believe Cuomo said, look, you can't, you can't use religious beliefs as a, um, as a, as a way out. You, if your kid doesn't get vaccinated, then they can't go to school. And then some of the, even some of the leaders in these Orthodox Jewish communities were essentially saying the same thing, because look what's happening. People are dying in mass, uh, not dying, but there's, there's an outbreak of measles in mass that is spreading like wildfire. And to say that the cure uh, is worse than, that, that, that the, the cure is worse than the actual issue. It, it, it doesn't make sense. So we're now going to advise our people to get their kids vaccinated. And so I'm not so sure that the religious exemption is gonna hold up anymore. So there's a part of me that feels, I just, this is just such a touchy subject for me. I, and not just me personally, but, the older I get, the more I feel like I'm becoming more of a conspiracy theorist, or I've just been on this earth long enough and have read a lot to where there's just so much mistrust with the government. 
So if you see, you know, vaccines and the numbers and how, you know, children, African-American children are impacted and the increase of autism and little black boys and I, I was told once by somebody in medicine, I think, I don't know if this was my cousin who told this to me. Um, so when you, when doctor's offices uh, receive their vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. They're tracked by a lot number. So as they're shipped, you know, all these vaccines, they have the serial number and this lot number. And it was suggested in conversation with, you know, someone, it was a few people who were sitting there and they were just like, well, the problem is, is that even when it comes from the same lot, it's the, so I'm going to miss, I may be misspeaking. So apparently it is not just the lot numbers, but we can decide which vaccines go where that are more potent or effective. So it was suggested that a lot of the areas that these kids are, minority kids are receiving these vaccines and the the numbers are higher in autism and kids having um, harmful reactions and kids are being impacted, a majority of minority children. That's because the faulty vaccines were sent to those areas. Right. And that sounds very concerning that sounds very conspiracy, right? Like, it sounds like a conspiracy theorist, but sometimes like is right in front of us because numbers, statistics don't lie. And history seems to tell us all of these malpractices and things that were being covered up mm-hmm. years later after the fact, right? So oddly, the statute of limitations always somehow surpasses and then you have the Henrietta Lack story like that will that story never escapes me and John Hopkins has never paid or acknowledged or paid her family or even has really done right by that family at all right they literally kept Henrietta Lacks alive to test on her and they let her die uh, she died of cervical cancer, allegedly, and they intentionally let her die to use all the cells in her body to come up with all of these different uh, cures and vaccines to solve cancer. And what they did, instead of making her a part of it, they took her name off and they just used the letter H. And eventually it turned from not using H to using another letter and a number. So the family couldn't get any rights to it because they literally in the research intentionally did that. And I just think that it's hard for me to to believe that you are going to create a vaccine that's supposed to help me, that I'm supposed to give to my kid and myself to stay safe, knowing what I know as a black woman in this country right now in 2020. Well, you know, I I do not think you're being conspiracy theorists at all. I think the 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 history and and you know some of the the present day things definitely speak truth. And so, 
I, I kind of believe what's going to happen is because the, the public clearly sees what is happening, they, and, and, and again, going back to the mistrust of government, right? So it's not just black and brown people that have that mistrust. I would suggest it's, you know, poor rural white folks, some of those doomsday preppers, right? Right. If they trusted government, they wouldn't be stocking up and buying all the bullets and all like that because they think government's trying to take away their, their second amendment rights. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. It, it could be a beautiful thing if, if around this mistrust, people who come at issues from opposite political spectrums can, can coalesce around this thing of not having confidence in one's government because government has failed miserably and is just not seeming to care anything about people that they will you know decide you know what maybe maybe this we we need to vote all of these people out and and get some new people in or reorganize or or do something but um i i think these are all things whose time have have come right so we a lot of things have sort of converged and brought us to this intersection, not even a fork in the road, but this this intersection where we can't ignore things anymore. This stuff is broken and it's not working for a lot of people and it's working only for a few people. Now, so, I mean that, Oh my gosh, I feel like we could talk about this for hours, right? And so I think my audience question really is, I want really, I really want everybody to sit down with their immediate family. So meaning people in your household, and if that is single, if you're single, and so you need to contact maybe your closest relative or your parents, I really want people to have a contingency plan. Honestly, a contingency plan. Oh, okay. Because stuff is about to hit the fan, right? The first half of COVID was literally preparation. We're about to go into the winter months. I think it's really important uh, for people to prepare themselves. So one of the things that I saw as soon as the pandemic happened, um, the shelves were empty. So pampers and wipes and all of these things were gone. And people were just taking that, not sure why, because it didn't really go all to who needed it. Right. But the, the aisles for vitamins were full. <laughs> Medicine was full. So I really want people um, to really, and this is like an audience question, so you can respond on social media. Tell me, what do you like? What did you learn? What What were you not prepared for during COVID, and what are you going to do to prepare for the winter months ahead? Because I can't. I I don't want people to sit into this space like everything is solved. We're moving back to phase four because there are a lot of states and cities that are now going all the way back to phase one. 
So what are we doing to prepare? Do you have enough dry foods? Do you have enough water? Do you have, if you live alone or maybe you're el you have elders in your family that are not close, who can go and make sure that they're fully stocked? Can you go stay with that elderly person, right? Like, what are we doing? What are you doing with contingency plans? Like I personally, uh, when Ming returns from her summer with her dad, we're going to have two suitcases back, like one for her immediately and one for me. And in case we need to leave and maybe just go where more family is in one location, I'm literally prepared to do that. And I'm, I'm saying this not to create fear and encourage that, but we just can't, I don't want to see us caught out there. I don't want to see people just not be prepared about what's going to happen. So do if you're going to stay home, do you have enough dry goods? Do you have medicine? Do you have enough paper towel, towels, like uh, toilet paper? Like what are some things that you need to have to secure yourself? If you live in a home or, you know, we're not really talking about gas. Gas has not been really high. It's been really low. So this is the best time to get gas because we're not really driving, right? Right. But, if you're in a position and you have a vehicle, do you have a gas can and is it full of gas? Just in case, right? Like an extra in case you can't get to the gas stations. Uh, I really would like to hear what our audience is doing to prepare for the winter months of COVID for fall and winter because it's definitely, I think it will be worse than what we just experienced. Hmm. Wow, um, that that's that's really deep, and so I I think that is more than enough of a uh, of a show question, just because it's going to involve a lot of deep deep thinking, planning, you know, inventory system, and, and wow, that's I mean I'm gonna definitely. That's important. You have to have an uncomfortable conversations, right? And I think that's probably a part of the problem. You know, like my dad, I'm going to be a little transparent, but my dad just came home from federal prison. Um, he was released partly because of his age and health wise. And I think he had like another two years in federal and he had been there already like nine years so they released him early. He had to quarantine. So he's currently in New York City. And having a conversation with him yesterday, we're talking about life insurance. And I actually can't put him on my life insurance, partly because of his age and his health issues, right? And we started to go into a conversation because I was like, well, you know, in case something happens, this is really important. I need to know what mosque you want to handle your services and how much that would cost so I can make sure that's okay. And he completely bypassed that and was like, yeah, so I'm going out to the store today to go do X, Y, and Z. And I could tell that it was an uncomfortable conversation for him because he's only been home like 60 days and he's finally, you know, getting to see his granddaughter and have a relationship with her while she's visiting her dad in New York City. So I realized that that was uncomfortable. But these are conversations that we got to have because look at what the hell is happening. So even like having this conversation with your family, I don't think you should be afraid. 
right? I think we really need to be realistic about where we are, what's happening around us, and how do we best prepare? So if we're going to stay in our homes and be bunkered in, then do we have enough to sustain us? So we don't have to go out in the crazy. Do we have the candles? Do we have the batteries, right? When I think about Verna Logan, my grandmother, God bless the dead, that woman always had a flashlight in every room, batteries, candles. If it poured raining because she was from the South Thunder, she would make you turn all the lights off. And to this day, I do that just because instinctively that's what she always did. And I had a Zoom meeting, a study group the other day uh, with some students in my course. And they were like, Lania, why is all your lights out? I was like, because it's thunder (laughs) outside. I started laughing. And I just told them like, all right, so my grandmother, this is what she used to do. And I'm just wired that way, right? And so if you haven't been raised by any elders, you may not know these things. Like you, you need these things. Like I have a box of matches in my house that my friend makes fun of me all the time. Why you don't have a lighter? Because what if it don't work? Right. <laughs> I, I need a box of matches. There's like 300 in this box and I could light a, light a fire if I need to. And they make fun of me, but it's the just in case. So no, I, I don't blame you. And if you can have one of those old um, plug in the wall phones, because you know what? I don't even have a home phone. Ah, I don't even have a home phone. I do. I don't know why it, it came with the package. It came with the package, but remember, your if we think about your age group, right? Yeah, that's what we're accustomed yeah. to having the 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 rotary phone, the dial up phone, and then the phone with the the large colored numbers, the bright yeah. green numbers <laughs> with the long spiral cord. We're used to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That was in both of my grandparents' house forever. She hated the cordless phone. This this thing ain't even charged. So, I mean, those are the things we kind of have to get back to. And um, yeah, I'm not trying to scare people, but I think I would like to see us more prepared than not. Yes, for sure. For sure. I mean, and like your your mom and your grandmom, I I probably have like 10, 10 flashlights. This big, big, big thing of batteries, a bunch of candles. See? I probably need to get some matches. I know I have some. You could get them from the 99 cent store. Two in, oh, okay. two boxes, you get like a thousand yeah. <laughs> for 99 cent. <laughs> but yes, and, and again, these, just this notion of carrying forward traditions even. Mm-hmm between my generation and probably my sons. I remember when my mom um, was here, the bishop, Dr. Mamie El Raji, when I was younger, you couldn't leave home with a bunch of, without a bunch of quarters because mm. you, if you needed to make a, it was dimes at one point, but right. then it became quarters. It, you know, just, just those things and, and leave, walk with cash. Just those those things don't get transmitted to our younger folks anymore because everything is instant, right? right? Um, I, I walk true. with a phone book sometimes that has people's numbers written in them just in case, you know, I need to call someone and can't get to the phone or whatever. But just, 
I don't know, just so many things that were useful back then that seemed so out of touch, but they're probably going to come back. They the, are. The, I, definitely. I definitely, they are. And if, and if they don't come back by force, I think we need to just start implementing them. Just yeah. in case, uh, to make sure. So do you have um, a book suggestion for this week? I certainly do. It's called Unequal Treatment, uh, Confronting Racial and Ethnic Disparities in Healthcare. I, I, didn't, um, I didn't write down the author's name. And also a homework and a call to action would be watching Melanie Funches, F-U-N-C-H-E-S-S. -S. She has a TED, TEDx talk on implicit bias and it was just so eye-opening for me and of course we'll drop these things in the uh in the show notes for this episode just so when you have a visit with your healthcare provider you make sure that they hear you you right so it's unfortunate that they are blind to us and don't hear us, but that that should not stop you from making them hear you, right? Do whatever it is that you need to do legally to, <laughs> right? Don't put anybody in the headlines, uh, look, you're going to hear me. But, um, and make sure they are testing you for stuff that they test white folks for, because yeah. a lot of times, you know, they'll order tests for you, but not the kinds of things that they order for white folks, because somehow, you know, um, black folks don't get the same kinds of diseases as white folks, mm -hmm. which makes no sense, especially since they experimented on black folks to create the cure to then give to white folks. So definitely, watch that TEDx talk and understand in some instances, people may intentionally not be paying attention to you because they don't think that you experience health emergencies or health crises in the same way that, uh, that white folks do. And don't be afraid to cancel your damn doctor. How about that? I'm not paying you co-pays to be dismissed. That is what I, I do not feel. I, listen, if your doctor is not listening to you, kindly ask them, oh, not a problem. So what you're telling me is, is that you're not going to test me. I just want to be clear. Because sometimes you, they will present things to you to make it seem like, oh, no, well, we don't have to. And it's my thought. Oh, no, but I'm telling you, this is the test I want. And they actually legally have to when you when you say it that way, right? But don't be, um, it's okay to challenge your doctor. And I don't mean give them a hard time for the sake of it, but if you are adamant about something that you're feeling or, you know, you have questions or even just with COVID, like if you want to have these conversations or you want to understand how is it going to impact you or what is your doctor's offices doing? to take preventative measures for COVID. So when you come in to get services, like I think that that's really important to 
this might be the new normal, the mask we may have to wear for quite some time, even, even just in hospital settings. Like Sierra just had gave birth to her baby, the singer, and I saw a photo online and she had her mask on while the newborn baby is laying on her chest. And of course the baby doesn't have a mask on. And so everybody around in the room had mask on. And I'm just thinking like, damn, like this is just, this is really changing everything. So I don't think that we should play around these masks are serious. Um, my book suggestion is Just Medicine, A Cure for Racial Inequality in American Healthcare. And it's written by Dana Bowen Matthew. This book came out, I think, in 2015, so it's definitely an interesting conversation because some of the things that we're talking about today, not necessarily with COVID, but more so bias in healthcare and with African-Americans and not just women, but African-Americans as a whole. Uh, this book really touched on that and really went in depth, and I think it's a great read. And this came out in 2015. Right. And so here we are in 2020. So obviously, like Dr. Branch mentioned, there are conversations that are being had and maybe not as public or as consistent as we would like it or on large on large platforms. But I do think that as we are pushing to make this change um, to restructure America, because whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. Right. This literally is falling, this country is literally falling apart. And I honestly think that when things fall apart, it's gonna fall in place. So it's gonna be up to us individually, especially as African-Americans, to put together the pieces that we want to impact our kids. So do you have any final thoughts? This is far from over. Definitely, definitely take this serious this is really life or death um and you are your first responsibility right nobody is going to look out for you like you will and mm -hmm. so definitely start looking out for you that's so true uh i would also just like to say be safe party people Masks are not expensive. Um, I have masks in the car and then I have masks in my place. I have hand sanitizer. I would also like to say, as we move forward with COVID, um, it probably will not be likely that we won't see a real vaccine that we might even consider taking probably until 2022. So if we think about the next year, I really want us to have a community focus. Like, yes, your household is important and the needs that you have in your household, but what about your neighbors, right? Do you have elderly neighbors or, you know, maybe not always just elderly, but neighbors who financially, you know, they're struggling. Um, are you able to give them a little bit, right? Like if we're locked in and bunkered in, are you able to, check on people, um, not just people closest to you, but the people who are immediately in your space. And just think about when you're going into these stores and you're buying things, I know that we don't wanna be without, but I really want us to think about other people. 
right? And making sure that there are all these limitations on what you can buy and how much of it, because people have been hoarding things. So if I have more money than you, I can come in and buy this whole shelf. But do I really need this whole shelf? Right? Do I, do I realistically need this whole shelf? Or can I just take maybe two or three items off of this shelf, depending on the size of my household? You know, it's me and my 10-year-old, right? So I just, I don't want us to get into the space to where we're just, we're hoarding things and we're forgetting about each other. Because outside of us rescuing ourselves, it's going to be us that has to rescue and help each other also yeah. in the pursuit of rescuing ourselves. So uh, please stay safe. Thank you so much once again for joining us. This was episode six. Uh, please make sure you holler at us on social media. Uh, we are on Instagram and Twitter. Dr. Leslie Branch is on Instagram and Twitter. You can find all of this in our show notes. Uh, if you want to leave us a message, you want to give feedback, you want to make a book suggestion, you can do so. Uh, if you have a topic that you would like us to talk about, please share that um, on our anchor. You can send us voice messages. Uh, we appreciate you for listening and growing with us and being patient with us. And um, have an amazing, safe day. Amazing, amazing. On that note, it's a Rizzi. Thank you for joining us. You can catch our latest episodes every Tuesday. Hear Me is on Spotify and iTunes, and it's executive produced by me, Leslie Branch, and Lanier Logan. And big thanks to Lil Salastro who produced the beat. Till next time, hear me.